We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Transformative Principle number 47 with Ken Daly, part two. Welcome to Transformative Principle where we interview real principals who are doing amazing things to help our students every single day. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter, at Jethro Jones. What I'd like to ask you to do is to take a survey to help me understand how I can provide a better podcast for you, those who are listening to it. Just go to transformativeprinciple.com, take a couple of minutes, take the survey that's right there on that landing page, and give me some feedback about how I can make this show better for you about what kinds of things you would like to hear more of on the podcast. And also remind you to refer me some of your principal friends, people that you know that are making a real difference in kids' lives. Thanks so much for listening. Let's talk a little bit about mastery-based learning. What kinds of things have you learned and started implementing uh, recently that have been uh, eye-opening to you that you weren't you weren't quite expecting or you you didn't know could work how they did yeah I guess one thing you know was really like one power of this that I wish I could replicate for my colleagues is I've had the time to let these ideas sink in I, I think a lot of ideas trickle down um, not always from practitioners and I think that if I had heard about mastery-based learning and passing I, I think on the surface it would have looked I think it does to a lot of people it looks like it's easier for kids and the time I spent looking into it last year, um, I just I, I think where it works and what intrigues me most is it actually requires more of our students. Um, and, um, you know, our students, I know it's, it's universally known that they are not um, necessarily as college ready as we want them to be, but they're also they're graduating the most confident teenagers on the planet Earth at the mm -hmm. same time. And to me. That's a systemic failure of, of feedback. Um, yeah. my, my entrance into this was more about, um, to be honest, I saw through the, the lens of grading and assessment because I spend so much time doing it and it's so rarely 
had, um, you know, I felt like it was always a lot of work and not necessarily something my students are responding to. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the angle I went into it with. And I just started to look at things like, um, you know, I always wondered, uh, you know, our students, even ones that don't thrive in math, they seem to have that magical sense of what it took to get a 59.5 in our classes. Right. And probably the big, the big, the big shift for me came in, in, in thinking about that when I started looking at what other schools have done banning the D and getting rid of it. Um, and again, like from a distance, I know schools where that's happened, where it's not raising expectations for students. They're really just telling teachers to stop giving Ds. Right. Um, but, in, but in my class, um, you know, I, I realized that I was essentially um, giving kids zeros when they didn't do their work. And if they did a bad job on their work, I was giving them 60 points for it. Um, that's probably the first big change I made, and I think it's probably it was a good first change to make because I, I very instantly saw results. Like I think my students were initially excited, like oh wow, he's not going to give these. But when I basically made sure through administration that what that meant was that that an assignment at D level was going to be returned and was going to be considered not done unless they 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 improved it and revised it. I think. You know, after I was initially worried, this is going to, I'm going to have kids rewriting things all the time. And to be honest, the first couple of weeks it did, I think they were kind of calling my bluff, but eventually, you know, a, a student would rather do something once than do it three times. Mm -hmm. um, and I, what that immediately revealed to me though, was my students started to fall in, in a couple categories. Some, it was clear, were getting D's because they, they had not been trying their best. But then there's another group of students that were getting D's because they, they needed more feedback. And it allowed me to really address both groups um, um, a lot better. And I think it's probably, I'm a, it's my 13th year teaching. It's, it's I think single-handedly, the, 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 the thing I did that has, I've never gotten more quality work since that decision. Um, I, I think that that really, when kids realize that it's not just, um, I'm lowering my standards by giving C's, but that in fact I'm not accepting work that's that's done less um, less quality than that. I, I think it really did step up um, my students, and that was a year when I was teaching a wide range AP um, and and students that weren't necessarily thriving academically. So I saw really good results across the board. Um, now that I've been doing that and some other things, um, being a little more specific with my feedback, I used to. I mean, it's something as simple as, and we have power school, you know, an online grading program where my assignments used to be broken into homework and classwork and tests and quizzes and projects. And, and now as an English teacher, I've broken them into reading, writing, and language. Mm -hmm. so now I'm giving feedback on not the location where students happen to do work or what label it is, but I'm, I'm labeling it by the skill. And, and, and talking to parents about it, I, I think they agree. It's much, much better feedback. And even if in my system right now, they all end up averaged. At least we had parents night the other night, and I can, for the first time, look right on Power School with a parent and say, you know, that basically, you know, a student might be an A in reading, but they're a C in writing. Mm -hmm. um, and as that, that feedback's a lot better. And I guess moving forward, um, I really, uh, the, the traditional grading for me was really, um, it was really, smoothing out all the rough edges of my students' abilities. You, I, the next step for me is is really instructional because now that my students are being assessed more specifically um, and I'm getting more important and more valuable information through assessment, 
it's highlighting the ways in which I need to change the way I teach to make sure that students are getting exactly what they need and, and not more of the same of that they're already mastering. So I think those two are important. It seems to me with mastery-based learning that the assessment kind of forces your hand in instruction. If you know that a kid's weak in one thing, um, it's not as easy to keep treating your students as if, as if they're all kind of in the same boat, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think that's incredibly powerful um, from a teaching perspective because it goes from, I taught the kids this information, they should know it, to the kids are not demonstrating this information. What do I need to do as the teacher to help them demonstrate that they do know it? That's right. And that, to me, I, is powerful. And I think, yes, and I think me and a lot of teachers have never necessarily believed that, um, you know, because I taught it, they must get it. But again, the way traditional grading is, a lot of these kids would get B minuses, you know what I mean? And, and, and that, that it's not calling attention either to me or to the student that there's a problem. Um, so that's, that's interesting. And even, but, but it's forcing some tough conversations too. I mean, I have, um, you know, there's some degree of, um, we, we had students in our, our top achieving classes that have, have basically um, earned themselves good grades through doing homework all the time mm -hmm. and racking up points on fairly rote things. And I think that, like over time, I, I think this is going to call attention and, and, and no effect, no, no doubt it's going to create some conversations with parents. But again, we're at least giving them information that they need in order to be successful in college. You know, letting a kid make up for a writing deficiency by doing well with vocab is just not a good practice. So. Right. And, and what are some of those tough conversations that you've already had or that you anticipate having going forward? Well, I, I just think, you know, one, one tension in our profession right now is I, I know we pay lip service to the idea that everyone should be educated and college ready, but I think in actuality, I, I think that's something that our culture says to itself. And I think to some degree, it's not about what kids know. I think it's actually about graduation rates. I think it's about transcripts. I think it's about pretty shallow things. And it's easy to say that you want your kids to be educated, but when there, but there's pushback when we hold kids accountable. Mm -hmm. um, when, when state systems of accountability punish schools for the four-year graduation rate, that undermines a school's ability to basically extend school in the instance that a kid isn't ready. And I think that, you know, as a teacher, I think a lot of that pressure falls on teachers. Um, and I know that pressure falls on administrators as well. But I think that we need to be, um, I think we need to be realistic with students about their abilities. Um, I think that as, you know, because I teach high school, we've had students that have played this grading game for 11 years. Um, and some of them have played it very well. And some of them have essentially, you know, felt labeled by it. And, and therefore, I think we have a lot of students that care way too much about grades, mm -hmm. students that don't care at all about them. And I think that's a shift in thinking. And that's why I think um, it's a really good thing that in my district right now, the conversation we're having about mastery learning is a K-12 conversation. Mm -hmm. Because I think that there's a limited amount you can do when parents have their kids entering high school and suddenly that everything kind of changes. And so I think I'm really looking forward to seeing the effects of, of you know, elementary school teacher uh, students moving into middle school and moving into high school, um, having kind of operate in this system. And it's, of course, years down the road. Um, but I think that, um, uh, um, 
as, as we kind of shift there, I think there are questions around special education students. Um, there are some conversations that need to happen there. Um, there are some, um, um, and, and, and again, I think that a certain type of student thrives under a traditional grading system. And often I think that student is actually, in many cases, they're quite capable, but they're also compliant. And I think as we shift away from rewarding compliance and instead towards acknowledging mastery of really important skills, I think, um, I think it's a much more fair system, but I think and it's certainly more equitable. But I also think that it's going to, um, um, I'm not saying all the conversations will be bad, but I, but I think that um, uh, we have some educating to do of, of parents and of teachers as well. Yeah. But I go back to, you know, last year is one of those kind of crisis moments for me as well. And thankfully, I'm, I'm on the sabbaticals. I'm thinking about it. I, I had a student in my class who was brilliant. Um, he, he belonged in an AP class. Um, I, I recommended him for AP, and um, and he, in, in the meantime, it, um, here's a kid, the only reason he was failing my class was be, essentially because of homework. And and I think that um, there needs to be a consequence when kids aren't doing their work, but, but here's a kid that basically um, did not end up in the class he belonged because of the behavior. And for me, that was um, powerful because, again, we, we um, um, we not only reward kids for behavior aside from their ability in writing and reading, but we also punish kids for behavior um, despite how well they are. And, and that, when you kind of see it through the student lens, I, I like using the teacher lens as well, but when you see it through the student lens, I think this makes a lot more sense too. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that you mentioned that you you just touched on briefly, and I think there's, there's more to say about that, is um, the current grading system and the current pressure to to have graduation rates at a certain percentage puts pressure on schools to push kids out the door before they're actually ready to leave high school. So some kids may take, they may need five years to be successful in high school. Um, special education law allows for a, a student to stay until they're 21. And if they, if they have those kinds of needs, but some kids who don't qualify for special ed, will will still need that extra time to be able to get that done and changing the conversation to mastery allows us to strip away those classifications of freshman sophomore junior senior and then you graduate and allows us to then instead focus on the skills that help them move to the point of being ready to graduate from high school yeah absolutely and i think too you know in conversation about this, I think people are particularly excited at the prospect that kids will finish in three years. And I, and I don't deny that that might happen. Um, I actually, I, I, I want to, I want to work in a high school where we are so able to tailor to our students' needs that even if a kid has mastered everything um, we're requiring of them the third year, that we're flexible enough to give them such a rich experience their senior year that there's no reason for them to necessarily leave. Mm -hmm. But going back to that point, I don't. Um, I think people are excited by the idea that kids finish early. What I don't, what I'm not sure people are ready for, is the notion that kids will take more time. I'm, I'm and and that's the, um, it's not. It's, I'm not saying it to be overly harsh, but again, I think number one, that's the best way to leverage and get the very best effort out of our students. I, I think the the biggest untapped resource in in, in education right now is actually our students, um, and that's again why. Um, 
making them, if they're aware that there is incentive for them to master skills and to not just kind of bide their time, I think we're likely to um, to get their best work instead of instead of just getting compliance from them. So I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at our school, we've um, actually ditched the uh, A B C D F mm-hmm. rating as a whole, and we're doing four, three, two, one, yep. where three is proficient, or that's the level everybody needs to be at, and four is going above and beyond and doing more. And there was a a parent who who asked a student as she was walking by me during parent conferences this week, she said, if you're getting fours in every single class, why do you even need to be here? And mm-hmm. that was a, you know, that's a legitimate question that was not directed at me. And part of me is grateful she didn't ask me in right. particular because I, you know, if you are getting all fours, we need to to do something to challenge you and put you in a place where you're going to be able to still be successful, but if you've mastered everything, why are we, why are we keeping sure. you here? And that, yep. that, you know, goes to what you said about meeting kids needs that if they are mastering things, let's provide them more opportunities for them to be successful in other areas that will be a little bit more challenging and more beneficial, hopefully to them. Sure. And are you in a high school too? Uh, middle school. Gotcha. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know how widespread it is. I guess, you know, we've certainly seen that four point system. I think that's a few years down the road for us. It's, uh, I think elementary and middle school are a little more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. We have seen, and I'm, I'm kind of curious what you think about it, that I guess there was at least a couple of schools we talked to who said that they found, um, especially in the higher grades, that they felt even though you, you don't need a 1.25 and a 1.5 and a 1.75, they're mm-hmm. only there's only so much feedback you need to give about a kid that's not not quite there yet right. but they saw a need as you get above three to at least do three two five three five three seven five of ways of getting kids basically you can kind of raise expectations and get them to kind of move up that and i don't know mm-hmm. if you've, you've heard of situations like that or maybe even just simply making a three three point five or four um the idea being that there might be only so many ways to not meet a standard but there are probably several degrees of exceeding it Right. And it's it's maybe necessary to make those milestones apparent to kids to mm-hmm. push them further. Yeah, um, I, I do think there is some value in that. And um, a for us, it's it's about the the rubric of what a three really means for that particular scale. Right. Okay. So if 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 it's a two, then you're right. It's really just a two or it's just a one. And but there could be a three point five and it could go higher. Um, However, that that also starts to dilute, I think, what you're really trying to do. We're not we're not trying to um to push kids towards the fours. We're trying yep. to get kids at the threes and then find new ways to challenge them. Right. Sure. No, I, that, so, that makes sense. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, so that's a that's a difficult thing. The the problem we've had with our high school is that colleges don't recognize the four, three, two, one. And so then we have to convert them back to a regular GPA grade scale, which right. even which makes it more confusing for parents and, and more confusing for teachers. Um, but at the same time, a college is going to say, I don't know what a four is. I know what an A is, which is sure. ironic because they really don't know what an A is. But <laughs> sure. Sure. so, yeah, those are the, some of the struggles we have. Yeah. And we're... Um... 
We're actually working with a, a consortium of schools called the Great Schools Partnership. It's in New England. It, it includes every um, uh, state in New England except Massachusetts. And, and there are actually these it's about 80 schools and something called the League of Innovative Schools that are moving towards mastery-based learning with multiple pathways. And um, there's a third component of student-centered accountability. But anyway, um, they, they've actually done some work in having conversations with colleges in New England to get them to sign on to this. Awesome. Um, and most of it, you know, what, what they're arguing is that it doesn't matter what the transcript looks like as long as it's clear. That's what they're hearing from colleges. And mm -hmm. if a college can handle a transcript from Bangladesh and one from New Jersey and one from, you know, they should be able to handle this. Yeah. I mean, um, and, and again, I think if they really thought about the degree to which they know what an A or a B means, I think they'd probably um, they'd probably acquiesce pretty quickly. Yeah, um, especially if they looked at their own college courses. I mean, oh, it was that, made way more sense when I was in high school what an A was than it did when I was in college, which was completely at the whim of whatever professor happened to be teaching. And absolutely, yep. That that made it very difficult to know. So I learned how to play the game and and figure out what that professor really wanted, and then yep. did just that thing to get the grade that I needed. Sure, Which and that's you know that's right. And back to our back to our our previous conversation. It's I don't think it's by accident that during a time when I don't think it's insignificant that during a time when there's a massive concern about what our kids are getting out of high school and college, that there's actually a great deal of grade inflation happening as well. Mm -hmm. And um, I think those two things go hand in hand. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this podcast. Please subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher. And please feel free to give us a rating on Stitcher Radio or on iTunes so that we can help spread the word about how much we're learning in this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.